Greetings pod people and welcome to a post-festive edition of Strangers to the Multiplex, the movie and TV podcast that prefers its tomatoes pre-packaged and untouched by the views of the general public. Um, You join me on the 3rd of January after the Christmas period and putting the finishing touches to the podcast. Originally for this episode, I had envisioned a detailed talk-through of the Christmas TV schedule, uh, visions of sugar plum fairies and heavily annotated Christmas radio times did flow through my head. Unfortunately, the BBC, their scheduling happened and there was much on this year I just wasn't inclined to watch. So instead, I've sat down with Neil and we've taken a detailed look into two particular items that won over the festive period. That is the Netflix Finance Bright starring Will Smith and also the BBC's very own Christmas Day edition of Doctor Who. We hope you enjoy it. I suggest you settle down with a turkey sandwich or perhaps a stale slice of Christmas cake. Get your ears in and let's see how we go on with us. Landis written uh, action fantasy crime drama funded by Netflix starring Will Smith and directed by David Ayer pairing them together again after Suicide Squad was released on the 22nd of December 2017 on the Netflix streaming channel we watched it and decided to talk about it where to start with Bright well should we just should we just kind of look at some of the figures actually so we, we've said it was it was 90 million to make uh, it scored a miserable 29% on the critics' review on Rotten Tomatoes. Ooh. But bizarrely scored 88% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. A lot of people are saying this is kind of the inverse of the Last Jedi Rotten Tomatoes scores. Critics hate it. Yeah, that makes sense. And Baywatch does. as well. I think Baywatch was kind of like a 15% critic score, but a 56% audience do you do you think to a certain degree it's it's people raging against stuff like rotten tomatoes i don't know i I mean i i think if you look at something like mother for example which was the uh jennifer lawrence Lawrence um that's got really highly on rotten tomatoes critic review and again this is something that was critically acclaimed but absolutely fell over at the box office Darren, Ar- Darren Aronofsky, yep. it's easy for you to say. Yeah. Um, I like his films. I'm going to check Mother out at some point. Yeah, I do. I'm, I'm not overly sure. I know it, I know it's quite divisive for yes. audiences. But, but we've got to understand as well that uh, although this had a very limited uh, theatrical release, Bright, uh, Netflix is a very different model of viewership as well. Um, and we've got to understand that it's not a large screen. It, you know, you're watching it on what from like 27 to about a 16 inch screen, uh, in your own home, you're at not your even... own pace. Yeah, exactly. There's no opening weekend. No. You know, Netflix don't have a set time they have to make money off of this. It will just stay on their service and be watched, possibly gain a cult following, and. I, I was going to say that actually. I think the Netflix model is more about. Uh, the the kind of like the after sales model uh, that they used to have with video videos. Videos, yes, absolutely. So, so you have things like Blade Runner, for example, that fell over in the cinema, yes. 
uh, will probably do brilliantly on Netflix as the original did on, on video, video and DVD and Laserdisc. Yeah. Uh, and I think the Netflix model is it's a it's almost like a B movie model. So it, it's something that you you aren't feel you, you you don't feel that you're actually paying for it. You're not paying for the cinema ticket exclusively for that. But because it's on and it's quite easy to absorb, uh, you're watching it and you're watching it all the way through. I always think of these things as perks. I subscribe to Netflix because I want to watch the Marvel things. I subscribe to Netflix because I want to watch new episodes of Star Trek. I also get this movie thrown in, which just happens to have Will Smith in it. And it's got orcs and the elves, and I quite like orcs and elves. And it's no skin off my nose if I watch Half Hour and it's no good. I just won't watch the rest of it. No, I think that's the perks of the Netflix model. Extending that further, that's the same, I think, for streaming in general. Uh, I've, I've found that I've, I've got a very similar attitude when I listen to things like Apple Music and Spotify now, is I'm quite happy to listen to an album if I'm paying £9 a month or £10 a month, whatever it is. And, and actually, I'm paying that £10 a month for other stuff, but I'll give another album mm. a go. Absolutely, because you know? it's, it's all in, isn't it? Yeah. I seem to remember reading the other day that Netflix have okayed a second Bright movie as well. Really? Apparently so. They've already greenlit a sequel. I'll, I'll be honest with you. They, they did leave it open at the end for a sequel. And a, a conversation I had yesterday, which I don't necessarily agree with, uh, but I was speaking to a mate who was saying that this would have made a great TV series. It would have done. The suggestion of the history of what did the Orcs do wrong and the, the training day stroke end of watch stuff as well. And the elves. There's there's an obvious um, class structure there with the elves, with the Orcs, with yeah. the humans. I think one of the failings of the, of the movie itself is there's a lot of potential there. There's a lot of ideas left that are kind of brushed over. Um, they keep going on about, is it that... Uh, Jacoby's blooded. Yeah. Yes. What is blooded? They don't quite explain it. No, yeah. Apart from they all wave their bloody hands at him at the end or something. I, I imagine it's it's something to do. It's something to do with honour, isn't it? Yeah. And being recognised as as a as a warrior, maybe. So let's start at the start then. Bright. Could you sum up for me, bright in a nutshell. This is bright. This is what happens. Uh, I would say it's a pretty basic buddy cop movie. Uh, based in a uh, fantasy world where orcs, fairies, elves exist. Uh, as you've already uh, mentioned, there's a breakdown in the structure, the social structure for those. Um, it goes from a buddy cop movie to a chase the MacGuffin movie, essentially. Um, I did read one review where they compared it to Midnight Run, which is sacrilege, in my opinion. It's uh, mind-blowing. It, yeah, it felt to me very much like an alienation Absolutely. Idea. I, I got that from the trailer, watching the trailer. I was like, right, so this is basically alienation with a touch of Hellboy. Yeah. End of watch, training day. Yeah. I, I, I like the Hellboy. I hadn't thought about the Hellboy, but it was it Hellboy 3? The second one, the Golden Army. Yeah, with the, yeah. the, the kind of the elves are very That's similar right, in yes. this, aren't they? I so sorry, yes. So um, MacGuffin, they chase a, a wand. A bright is a elf or a human or any other being who can use a magic wand. Will Smith's character Ward is a policeman who's been partnered with the only orc on the police force, and the orcs are generally looked down upon in society. Um, Will Smith is injured on duty. Which, right at the start. Right at the bizarre start. Bizarre cold opening, I thought. 
Yeah, it's now. Do you know what? As much as pants as I thought it was, now I'm sitting down trying to explain it. It's just <laughs> not coming out. Um, so yeah, Will Smith's injured, and there's some distrust between the partners, and it's all about the orc trying to win Will Smith's trust again, and they're caught up in this plot to find a missing, um, or rather, they stumble across a magic wand and a bright who can use it. And they're pursued by basically the the wand has has such kind of high value for everybody because yes. the wand can can cast magic and make all your dreams come true if you can handle the wand. So the guys are basically on the run from everybody. Yep. There's a bunch of renegade policemen who want to use the wand in order to just to fulfill their own wishes. Um, there is... Stereotypical Hispanic gangsters. Yep, some of whom may have orc skin on the outside, um, who want it in order to be able to win gang wars and generally crave the power. And then there are a, a group of elves who want to use the wands to bring about the second coming of yeah, the Dark the Lord. The Dark Lord, yeah. I, which, I, I'll be perfectly honest with you, I... And we're probably getting into a review of it here, but I, I did think that they, we're trying to reduce something that has got a lot of ideas in it, which all don't necessarily pan out or don't necessarily work. There's a lot of strands that drop straight away. Absolutely. Uh, but, but yeah, essentially it is two mismatched cops. Uh, cop, it's a buddy, it's cop cop buddy movie. It's a buddy movie, which doesn't work, no. but I, I, we'll get to that Chase, later, I'm sure. chasing Chasing a MacGuffin which everybody wants. So it then makes them, it, it creates a peril for them. It does. And they, they, they bond over this peril, yeah. don't they? The bond that was lacking beforehand, they sort of make over this peril that they're, they're faced with. Now, having just sat there trying to explain that to you as simply as possible, I can't imagine what the elevator pitch was for that movie. Uh, you see, I think it was David Ayer. Do you want to do End of Watch again? But we do it with a magical thing, and you get to work Will Smith again. Yep. I uh, yeah. to, to be fair, I think it has the same sort of superficial problems as Suicide Squad does. Exactly, and I actually think it appeals. It probably appeals, appeals to, to the same, same demographic. Audience. Yes. yes. Yeah. I wish now I'd looked at the tomato scores for Suicide Squad because I think there'd probably be some parallels there. Again, it's like kind of like after the cinema that it, it gains. Uh, well, you know something, Neil? When I first started podcasting, I did have the aid of something called a fact-checking monkey. And something tells me a fact-checking monkey could be handy right about hmm, now. Hello, fact-checking monkey here. Well, on Rotten Tomatoes, Suicide Squad scored 26% for critics and 60% for the audience score. So I guess they liked it. He sounds like a good-looking fella. <laughs> Are you enlightened now? Yes, yes. I, I was a genius. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, the whole relationship between the Orc and Will Smith, I didn't buy. I thought it was very uneven. It was... We were getting bargain basement Will Smith, essentially. Who who used uh, again? This was a discussion I had yesterday, but I'm sure he's never used the F word before in a film, even in Bad Boys. I'm sure he's never said the F word. Really? Yeah. It, it did was, he promise it was his mother? Did, did, did he? Did he? In a previous rap, sometime did he pr promise his mother he would probably? Do that. That, I think that's why they sent him to Bel Air to start with. Less on the F word, young man. Yeah. Off to Bel Air you go. Yeah. So do we? We we want to kind of break down the. 
we've we've talked about the plot, and uh, I'll be honest. Now we've probably cut out some of the gabble we've we've talked about. We gabbled lots. Uh, but if we if we go kind of from start to to finish, as it were, um, the first thing that hit me was there was a actually in the titles a decent setup of the world using graffiti, although I I think it might be slightly stereotypical using graffiti and what was essentially a kind of an urban soundtrack. Okay, well. hold the front page there, because you were obviously paying a lot more attention than I was. I completely missed all the Right, so they, they basically set up the whole orc uh, discrimination, the existence of fairies, uh, the existence of elves, as they were showing the titles. Okay, so we, right. So on the walls in the graffiti, there was, there was hints towards that, and then there was a very uh, obvious kind of almost Banksy uh, piece of graffiti, which had the LAPD beating down our Rodney King. I watched orc. that two days ago, and it's like you're telling me about a completely yeah. different film. That's amazing. Yeah, as he just kind of opened your eyes to it. Yeah. Like, wow, it's genius. Got Max Landis and David Ayer. Quick, give him an Oscar. Okay. I think we we mentioned, didn't we, that David Ayer's influence from, like, End of Watch, yeah. uh, Training Day, and even Suicide Squad, It's it's there from the get-go. Just, well, I think we've met, I'm not sure we've mentioned this while we've been recording, uh, written by Max Landis. Yeah, okay. son of John Landis. Son of John Landis, um, responsible for Chronicle, which I loved. Yeah. And um, what's the Netflix thing? Uh, D- Dirk Gently. Which is not bad. I quite enjoyed the couple of episodes that I watched as well. But this this is not his best work. No. I think, like you said, I think in terms of a uh, plot, in terms of a theme, it's a, it's a hodgepodge. And as we we talked about off off mic, but the, there's a whole bit about would this be better as a TV series because there are so many ideas and so many strands in there. It it had everything plus the kitchen sink in, didn't it? Really? Yeah. Uh, casting wise, anything you'd like to mention? Anybody you think stands out at all? No. No, absolutely. <laughs> they 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 hired the chick from. Um... The girl with the dragon, dragon tattoo. tattoo, yeah, yeah, and I think she's in all of three, four scenes. She's not in it a lot, is she? No, and there, there was some inconsistency with her character as well, which I think we'll come into uh, when we talk about the the, the actual plot. Um, but it, I actually think they recruited her because she looked otherworldly. She looks very otherworldly most of the she time. She does. But did you not find us? And again, I, I, you'll forgive my ignorance. The actress who played the bright. Um, something Fry, is it? Yeah, I don't, I'll Lisa be honest Fry? with you. I do, I'm not familiar with anything. Uh, well, one in. second, let's give let's give the monkeys chance to shine. Hello, that would be Lucy Fry, who starred in Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three and the TV series Wolf Creek. Again, that that guy's a genius. Who needs IMDb? I know. Get the monkey, you know. Unless he uses IMDb. Yeah, well, as long as the folks at home listening do know that other services are available, because <laughs> obviously he wouldn't want to um, endorse just one service. Yeah, her, I, I felt she was very similar to the um, the antagonist, the other elfish-looking chick. But they were sisters. Oh, were they sisters? Well, she calls her sister as she's about to I kill her. I thought they her. were both... No, there's, is it Infree? Or there was the name of their um, their group? Inf- Inferi? Inferni. Inferni, okay. I believe they were calling each other sister because they both belong to that. All right. Possibly. I don't know, Neil. I'm now starting to wish I'd sort of paid attention. Yeah, I know. I, I, I feel like I've watched a different movie. Maybe, maybe it has lots of hidden depths I just didn't get. 
No, he, he hasn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> Who played the all? Uh, it was Joel Edgerton, I think. Really? Yeah. Yeah, oh. I, w- I was really shocked as well. Now, I would imagine it is quite difficult to discern who anybody is under under all that makeup. makeup. Absolutely. I think we've covered the main cast there. I don't think there's any other characters. There there were the elves. um... I I think uh, you've got Edgar Ramirez, who played the FBI guy. The fat dude? No, the the other elf. Okay, I liked him. Yeah, Uh, I thought he was pretty good because I I wasn't sure which way he was going to going to go whether no. it's going to be evil or, or good to be do you want to explain how he ties into the story yeah so it, it's from, <laughs> from what they've <laughs> suggested in the in the uh, in the script uh the fbi have a special division who chase down magical objects Wayward magic, yeah. yeah so you've got an elf partnered with a human uh the elf was called candomir uh played by edgar ramirez partnered by uh big burly ginger guy called montague played by happy anderson and I, was, I got the impression he would be at home in american gods that dude yeah yeah he had a bit of a nordic feel did, to him yeah. didn't he and and basically as i understand it candomir um wanted to essentially destroy leela and the inferni and the best way he could do that was if leela didn't have her magic wand with her it, it made her vulnerable to 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 death, I guess. And I was under the impression he'd, be, he'd been trying to catch her for a number of years, hadn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was very much a dogged FBI, nobody stands in my way kind of role, which I thought was, was interesting because they gave, although the, the scenes they were in were great, I think they were given short shrift, to be honest. I was actually more interested in those two yes. than Will Smith and the Elf. He, ca- he carried himself very well, uh, the, the Elf. He carried himself very well, and I was intrigued that there was obviously a class thing at play there as well when the the, the bearded dude is talking to the Elf and he's explaining that they're talking about things. And they're talking about the Orcs as well. Yeah, because they said oh, it's, it's, as, it's as unusual as an Elf being a... Uh, janitor or something that's right yeah so yeah. elves are obviously better off than orcs aren't they in that yeah. world well uh, again conversation yesterday but we were saying it was almost like they were the david ike's illuminati so yeah because it was the idea that the elves were running everything you yeah. know you get a lot of that in america it's a jewish conspiracy we, so. which i you know like i said landis is jewish uh well his, his dad is so i assume he his is dad yeah no i'm off, pretty so. sure he is um but i th- i thought it was weird because They'd really drilled into stereotypes. It was very, very kind of horribly. But I thought it's very clumsy. Yeah, yeah, it I was felt. too simple, stereotypical. So you've got these class divisions with these magical people. You've still got Hispanics who are being treated as Hispanics are in America at the moment. But you've got, you know, uh, the Jay Hernandez who plays the sheriff, who's the friend of Will Smith, till he gets spoiler alert shot at a petrol station, which. Uh, did, did say, you know, something about you orcs are oppressed. You know, us Mexicans are still getting shit for the Alamo. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> no, he does say that, doesn't he? When they, yeah. yeah. And, and I, just, I just thought it, it was too broadly painted. There was no sort of sophistication no, to it, was it, there? No nuance at all with the, the, the whole social structure, which, which was disappointing because I think there was, there was potential there. But again, if it was a TV series, maybe... You got time to develop that, it, I guess, yeah, haven't yeah. you? I'm just having a quick look with my notes. What else do you have down? Um, uh, I've got one of the lines I quite liked, which was, don't fuck with the fairies. <laughs> right at the start. Just because I don't know why it made me laugh. That's a t-shirt. Yeah. 
Um, but then, the, again, this broad brush stroke. Today, fairy lives don't matter. Too soon? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I felt it was, it was pretty bad. There's... I think the whole thing did suffer from just not enough dramatic weight behind it. I think it was very clear what they were aiming for, but they didn't give it the time to play out. They didn't... The the actors didn't seem to lend it the, the right kind of weight. No. There were some conversations between Will Smith, um, Ward and Jacoby in the car, how they talk about trust and they talk about the idea of that every day he's, a, he's an orc and he knows that people know he's an orc and people are always looking down on him because he's an orc. And stuff like that, it's just been a dramatic weight, you know, because that, that's important in their world. But they were flying through this dialogue and Will Smith, at times, I thought he was phoning it in. Yeah. I, but I also I also think, and, and this could be uh, quite derogative towards uh, Max Landis, and I apologise if it is, but it, it felt like it was somebody writing from the outside about the issues of America who was from quite a rich white privileged background who didn't quite get the yes. nuances he doesn't quite understand streets no he's seen it in movies no. it, it'd be like me writing for a teen writing a teenager yes it, it's it's how i perceive it from my position rather than from a teenager. The reality of it. yeah 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 sure um I also thought the humour was a bit ill-placed at times. The Will Smith and the... Will, well, I keep saying Will Smith. Ward and Jacoby were having a conversation about mistrust and about how, they, how their partnership doesn't work. And then they'd be cracking... They'd be cracking wise the next second. And they kept seeing, switching between the two and it didn't yeah. work. They kind of sat, up, sat out like a... Well, I, I, think, like a I, I think one of the biggest problems with it was that the orc that he was partnered with, Jacoby, I came across as quite stupid in, in yes. all those interplays. You know, there's the whole thing about Will Smith trying to be subtle about tell me the honest truth, you'd feel a lot better. It's like when my daughter comes to me and she's lied and did, and he, he didn't get... Get that Will Smith was trying to get him to confess. Yeah, yeah. yeah I know. I've, and all the way through, I thought he was played as quite stupid. Um Yet when we meet the orcs later on, the gangster orcs, um, that they're kind of the the head of the orcs seemed to be quite with it. He was a community yeah. leader, wasn't he? But yeah. everyone else seemed all the other orcs seemed to be a bit stupid. Which again, I thought was yeah, I it just felt like it was written from a position of privilege. And also, I felt as well the the talk of magic at times seemed to stick out. I thought the dialogue seemed a bit clunky. It seemed yeah. a bit. It didn't seem to belong in that world at times or it seemed to be kind of bolted on a bit yeah and well it, it, but again it's that whole nuancey thing yes I, I mean it's like the division of the you know, driving through the elvish financial district essentially and then you've got the orc district and you've still got will smith the the african-american cop who's living next door yeah. to the hispanic gang in in what is quite kind of like a lowly but he's supposed to be a bridge, there. isn't he? He's supposed yeah. to be like a social bridge between the two, I imagine. But but I, do, I just think it was very unsubtle the way... Because America does partition classes, does partition yeah. races. I think it's a given. I think even people outside of America get we that. Un, we, we see it on TV, we yeah. see it in movies, we understand that. Yeah, they had to make it... They had to bludgeon you in the face with that concept. There, there was a lot easier ways of doing that. Yes, Absolutely. Um, I actually did think 
I'm not sure it's worth 90 million, but I, I did think it kind of looked good for all my criticism of the rain and stuff. There were some slow-mo shots when the uh, when they were shooting at other cars and the bullets were flying through yeah. the windows, which were quite good. It was like the the, the bit where they, they hit the magical barrier in the police car. That's it, right, That yeah. crunches up and the, the, they go for the slow-mo with everything yeah, pushing forward. Yes. You know, that that's was close, I think, to the Ryan Johnson... Uh, silent explosion of the uh, Snoke's battle cruiser in Last yes, Jedi. It yeah. had that had that kind of stop start, which was, one of, which was one of my favourite moments in the movie. Yeah, yeah. But we'll get to that later. Yeah, um, yeah it's. Uh, I can't say I hated it. I, I think there was. A, I think I saw a lot of potential in it. And I kind of wanted it to be better as a result. I I thought it was better than Alien Nation. It's been some years since I've seen it. Yeah, um, and and I do, I do, I do think that Air has a very nice visual flair and visual style, especially for violence and gunplay. A lot of those action scenes were good. Yeah, uh, especially they was it in a um a garage or something, wasn't it? They they were fighting. There was the bald dude who belonged to the um, dark elves. Yeah, and with um, the car reversing back. And, that's right. Yeah, that a lot brilliant. of that was quite good, well thought out. Yeah, inconsistency there because they essentially. In that strip bar, three or uh, three elves took on an entire gang of gangsters, and also murdered everybody else in the building. Plus, the when the SWAT team or whatever turned, because there's some guys turned up at the door. That's they, right. They managed to dispatch all of those three people. But they can't beat Will they Smith. they can't kill an orc <laughs> and Will Smith. I didn't know at one point as well. Apparently, bullets can't pierce fridges. There was a part where they, they they were stood at a fridge in the apartment and I can't remember who fired the gun, but essentially one of the characters was stood the other side of the fridge and the bullets didn't seem to pierce the fridge. It's a smeg fridge, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> what I would like you to do, um, 27 minutes towards the end of the movie, there is a part where they start discussing an age of heroes and how you have to unite the nine armies. And to me, that smacks of Justice League. Justice League, uh, also Hellboy. They were talking about the the various armies in Hellboy. It's Lord of the Rings. <laughs> you know, it is. I believe it is also Warcraft. Yeah. Um, I, 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 again, I, I just feel like it was, it was a mix, kind of a mix and match script and a mix and match idea. I, I think the elevator pitch was let's just take everything that's been successful in the last couple of years and just mash it all together to make something. I think I see the potential. It was okay for the ninety minutes, or I thought about two hours, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it was about it was about uh, two hours. It was about one one fifty seven. I think. It, yeah, yeah, 157, yeah. One fifty seven, just under the two hour mark. It wasn't awful. I actually watched it to the end. Um, I liked some of the action scenes, and I thought there was a lot of good ideas there. I'm not convinced it would have held my interest was I not podcasting about it. No, and I, yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't have gone to the cinema to see it. I wouldn't have paid money to see no. it, no. It was inconsistent. He changed gear about 40 minutes in from Buddy Cop. Well, from Training Day, End of Watch, Buddy Cop, social social commentary, uh, air quotes, uh, plot to magic, chase the MacGuffin. Yes. Sorry, I, I should, should say the MacGuffin. How useless was she? For the, for the they, they pick her up from that apartment and then for the most part she stays silent throughout the rest yeah. of the film. And then she brings him back to life, which I thought... Which she was there for a purpose, wasn't yeah. she? Which is to... But, but I, I thought that was almost like writing yourself out of a 
a corner to me. That it felt like, oh Christ, where are we going to go with this? How are we going to get them out of this situation? Because after, again, well, we've warned everybody about spoilers, but basically after they killed uh, Kimberly or whatever the orcs called, <laughs> I've forgotten his name, uh, Jacoby, Jacoby, um, and she brought him back to life. The rest of the orc gangsters left them alone. Yeah, I wondered that. What's yeah. going on there? Like they were allowed to walk out. Yeah, I, I just there's a lot of plot holes in it. And I think a couple of scenes previously they'd been talking about how orcs don't let grudges go. Yeah, but because magic had been dropped, it was all different now. Yeah, because he's brought back to life. I, I, you know, they could have justified it with, well, I've killed you once, and you're now back to yeah. life, and I've, that's the grudge gone. But they didn't even bother with that, you know. Yeah. Oh, uh, do we have high hopes for a second movie then? Uh, no, no. N- not really. I, I think, well, it depends because I, I think you probably need different writing staff on it. Uh, I would personally pitch it to a writer's room rather than one individual, which would potentially get rid of some of those inconsistencies. Uh, I have no issues with David Ayer at all. But I would imagine if they do the next one, A is not going to be involved. And I would probably drop Will Smith as well. But explore explore the world from a different perspective. Go with the FBI guys. I can see why, yeah, absolutely. I can see why they cast Smith. I can see why they, they would need that sort of charisma. I just don't think he brought his A game. No. And I actually thought that at the end, which, which I, I have issues with that, the whole medal thing at the end, I, just annoyed me for some reason. <laughs> um, but... I also thought that the the FBI guys were going to recruit those two at the end. That, that yeah. that's how I felt it was going to go. And that would have been a nice carry on, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah. Not only is he the first orc in the police force, he's now the first orc in the FBI. Yeah. But I guess that they decided not to go down that route because if they are going to do a second one, it's going to be a, a lot more difficult to to highlight the racial equalities inequalities if they're in the FBI rather than the police force. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to. I'm trying to second guess here. I, I was imagining it could go like the way of Bad Boys if they got a sequel. Oh, Jesus, oh, <laughs> that wouldn't be good. So I think I think in summary, um, it was it was okay. If you've got nearly two hours to spare, you know, settle down with a mug of cocoa or something. Uh, get you know, get, get it's a free. If you're paying six quid or whatever it is a month for Netflix, it's not going to cost you no. any more money. And like I said, it, it's pretty good looking as a yeah. as a as a piece of film, uh, but there are better things on Netflix, and I just feel like potentially Netflix were overwhelmed by this star vehicle idea, so Air and Smith pairing together plus Uber Uber Wonder Child Max Landis, rather rather than looking at the the content and listening properly to the pitch. Yes, <laughs> maybe what it was is he tried to pitch it to them much like I tried to explain it to you. Yeah. In 15 minutes, they got to the point where they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's established, whatever, that's good. Yeah, Max, we, we like hitchhikers. Uh, <laughs> sorry, we like uh, Dirt Gently. Yeah. And uh, Will Smith, if Will Smith's on board and David Ayers, like, yeah, we'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> and then we'll do something serious later down the line. So yeah, um, we've got two hours to spare give it a go but it otherwise would have been a, it'd be a much better tv show yeah it, and it's and it's not going to change your life
Next up, a quick chat about the Doctor Who Christmas special, Twice Upon a Time. But for me, Christmas has always traditionally been about movies and TV. You get like two weeks off work, you watch as much as you can in that period of time. Yeah. Yeah, now, in the interest of full disclosure, um, I'm not the biggest Doctor Who fan. I very much enjoyed Doctor Who, and I have done since I was God knows how old I've... But I'm not as kind of fanatical or as devoted or knowledgeable as some of the other sources I see online. And as a result of which, this is my get-out-of-jail card. As much as I'm telling you, I'm not pretending I know everything to do with Doctor Who, and I might make some factual errors. Give me some context for yourself. Were you a, are you a Doctor Who fan? Were you a Doctor Who fan? Uh, I think I, I started watching... Uh, I mean, for me, my Doctor is Tom Baker. I guessed as much, yeah. Yeah, um, uh, followed it through with Peter Davidson, uh, didn't follow it through with Sylvester McCoy and Colin Baker, um, did watch the, the the reboot, as it were, um, right the way through, I think, till most of Matt Smith's tenure. I probably lost interest actually once we lost amy pond and uh, rory rory yes um i didn't really watch the stuff with clara onwards and then to be perfectly honest with you i think the time slot changed or something uh and, and i kind of lost it even though i'm a massive uh peter moffat fan I, yeah. i've loved everything he's done coupling i, lo- I like sherlock etc but just seemed to lose thread with it. And I think I've seen one Capaldi episode just, where he annoyed my pants. Do me a name check. What's the dude's name, the showrunner? Uh, Stephen Moffat. There you go, Stephen Moffat. Yeah. Because he's a Pete. Did I say Peter? Yeah. His brother did some writing in the writer's room. <laughs> Ironically, where you, where, you, where you stopped off with Doctor Who in terms of Colin Baker and Sylvester McCoy, they were the Doctor Who's who were doctors when I was a kid. Right. And they'll be the ones I followed, and I I remember obsessively watching episodes and recording them and watching them again and again. My, and again. my sympathies are with you because <laughs> because I think the the funding from the BBC dr- drastically fell for that. If you watch them in retrospect, they're awful. But at the time, if that's all you know, right? The the Doctor Who Christmas special has been a, an institution since the show was relaunched in two thousand and five. Um, the first of which is The Christmas Invasion with David Tennant, which, to my mind, is still the best they've produced. Um, but I've continued to watch it through the years, ever since 2005, and I've only just turned off of it recently. Uh, the most recent Capaldi season, I think I might watch the first two episodes, and it didn't do anything for me, and I stopped watching it. It's, it's when he started playing... Was it one of the first ones where he was playing the electric guitar? Yeah, that's wow. a big turn-off for me, yeah. So, to me, Capaldi should have been more like Doctor Strange. He should have been more like the original Doctor Who, who was more of a sinister sort of... Um, not some secretive old man. Yeah, rather than wannabe, or wannabe cool uncle. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's not... <laughs> it's not like kind of... Britannia rules or anything. No. You're not the Who, just you're Doctor Who. Yeah. Oh, it? very good. I like that. So, yeah, so I found that a bit of a turn off and I, I kind of tuned out. But the appeal of every generation is always something that would make me sit up and take notice again. And the, the new lady is called Whitaker. Um, Jodie. Jodie Whitaker. 
Nice, nice Yorkshire lass, I believe. Who's only 35. You know you're getting old when Doctor Who gets younger. Well, that's happened to me for ages. So. <laughs> to be fair, though, Matt Smith's actually younger than she is, but I digress. Um, so, yeah, the idea, the idea of a regeneration has kind of revitalised my interest in Doctor Who. I'm interested to see as where they where they take it, and therefore um, I imagine a lot of people as well would have tuned into the Christmas special to find out what the regeneration is going to be yeah. like. That's the appeal, isn't it? Now, do you, did the the show itself went out on Christmas Day to a audience of 5.7 million viewers, which is we should, I think we should note is only that day's viewing. It doesn't include anything watched on iPlayer. Or any sort of like to have what like they used to call tape delay viewings. And uh, do, I think both of us caught it on iPlayer. I had it. I recorded it. I sky boxed it, but I think I watched it on iPlayer. I'm not sure whether that contributes to the figures. If you te- what the Americans would call TiVoing. Yeah, and that's not released until later next year, and early next year anyway. Is no. that figure? And uh, incidentally, the Queen actually won the uh, Christmas Day ratings with a respectable 17.6 million viewers. Do you know what I thought what might have helped Doctor Who out there, Neil? What? If he had regenerated into Queen Elizabeth herself. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah, thanks, man. I thought that would have helped. <laughs> I, quite interesting. Did you did you watch the Queen's speech? I didn't, but she was on three different channels. I'm kind of wondering if... Oh, if, it's um, like a collective possibly, rating. Yeah. Mm. She was on Sky, ITV and uh, the BBC. So I'm wondering if that's why she got such hefty figures. She did have the Daleks on as well. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, so yeah, um we're we're a podcast that's interested in TV and movies. It's worth noting that the viewing day figures for the BBC in general have been on the decline since 2012. Um they think it's there's a quarter of the audience has been lost since then. And that's across the board. That's not just Doctor Who or the Queen's speech. That's across the board. A recent Guardian article um, theorises that's due to the rise of streaming services, Netflix, um, cable channels, a continually fragmented audience, uh, niche markets, you know. Well, it it is, I mean, it does constantly chip into these things. Obviously, the advent of Sky, which... uh, is is essentially cable to a, to American yep. uh, listeners. Uh, we have those. Yeah, well, I believe so. <laughs> and the, the, the three of you out there, hello. Um, the, the this idea that, that it is progressively chipping away, but I I understand that five point seven million is still pr- is now Pretty regarded strong. as quite reasonable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the most successful uh, Who Christmas special had thirteen million viewers, and that would have been the one where Catherine Tate. You know, really? The Runaway Blind, the yeah, Runaway yeah. Bride, which I believe was like the second Christmas special. Wow. 13 million viewers. So what would that have been, been about? 2006. Really? Yeah. Doctor Who's been rebooted for that long, I didn't... 2005, I, yeah, 2005 wow. it rebooted. Wow. Yeah, but I, I mean, again, you know, you've, you've got the advent of Sky there, but Netflix wasn't on the scene, Amazon Prime wasn't on the scene, and whoever My player, else. Catch Up TV. Yeah. You know, that's all a recent thing. So I think it's important to note that where um, Doctor Who has fallen in viewing figures, that might be down to creative differences, that might be down to people not feeling compelled as the Doctor, but we're also it's also a victim of the streaming culture. It's yeah. also a victim of the catch-up culture. 
Incidentally, the same Guardian article also notes that the BBC have tried to combat the um, Netflix effect by putting a lot of box sets onto their iPlayer. Yeah, I, I, I think I read that article as well. I think yeah. like, they've foreseen this was going to be a problem as well, which tried to take back a little share of that market. Because they're, they're also doing the watch the whole series straight away as we've released it for some of the, certainly for their smaller level dramas that they would have put on kind of like a BBC Three or whatever. See, I always thought they were kind of shooting themselves in the foot with that in terms of viewing figures. Yeah. Because people will watch it online and they're not going to be tuning in on a weekly basis. Sky does the same, doesn't it? It does, it does. With a lot of the Sky Atlantic stuff. Just before, just before we get back to the Christmas special in particular, <coughs> it's worth noting there was an Irish Times article in July of this year which pointed out that the current season with Capaldi was the lowest rating season since the show returned in 2005, um, averaging on 5.5 million viewers an episode, and one particular case, 4.7 million. Mm. Now, like you said, in this fragmented audience, that's still quite a respectable score. Yeah. But you think back in the day, it was pulling between 7 and 8 million viewers. And I think that's the same issue with Doctor Who. I think the reasons the few figures are dropping is people aren't buying it, didn't buy into Capaldi's Doctor Who. So b before we go into the actual plot and and talk about the, the episode, uh, in I, I'm wondering, and it's horrible to say this, but is Jodie Whittaker stunt casting? Yes. Is, is this just to create a, a buzz? Yes, and uh, I had that in my notes. I, I think they're going for a radical retool in Doctor Who. I think they're trying to stop the slump. Right. Which, which it, you know, it goes, it, it kind of works in a way. Um, there is there is an adage that says most TV series shouldn't go past three, three series. I be would agree with because that. Because although you are comfortable, you would get bored, which is why procedurals still work, because you can... Effectively, you're writing a different story each week. Uh, but I think the issue you've got with something like Doctor Who is, yes, you've got the consistent characters, but because it, it has got such a long history, it, it's getting very, very difficult to write something original. Fresh. It's very repetitive, yeah. isn't it? Twice upon a time. Uh, noteworthy as it is um, written by Stephen Moffat and it will be his last um, last show as showrunner but last show as writer as well not Peter not Peter okay no. <laughs> just clarify that one yeah so um, he's been showrunner since 2010 and this Christmas special does does mark his um, departure from Doctor Who and bizarrely stars another writer for Doctor Who uh, Mark Gattis Mark Gattis yeah, yeah, yeah. League of Gentlemen yeah. yeah okay we'll get to that in a minute because I, I, I had issues with him um, but also directed by Rachel Talalay, Talalay yeah. who directed Tangel. Yeah. And apparently so, also very big on the DC TV shows. She's yes. directed quite a few episodes of those yeah. too. Pearl Mackey, uh, she played Capaldi's uh, companion, Bill Watts, who, who was one of the highlights to me of the couple of episodes I saw this season. But I think she's very strong. She's very strong in this episode, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah. I, think uh, I mean, the, the bits they show her in. Because they, you've got the yeah. two-hander of the Doctors and stuff. But, yeah, definitely, she's uh, she's she's very dominant, which uh, I've just realised I have lied to you, and I did watch the, the last episode of Capaldi's run before this. Right. Which, uh, which was a two-parter, but I saw the second part of the two-parter. 
and she was quite strong in that as well. So it, it's obviously a bit of a strength for Moffat to write for her. He's, he's got well, you some... think Moffat, he writes um, River Song very well. And Amy Pond was always very big on, on his yeah. list of priorities. And, and his women have always been quite strong in things like When They Appear in Sherlock uh, and Coupling. So, Rob, what does the Radio Times say about this episode? Right, the Radio Times says, twice upon a time, a British army captain is plucked from the First World War trenches in the final chapter of the Twelfth Doctor's story in which he faces his past to decide his future. Wow, that was quite short. That was quite short. You, <laughs> Sorry, that you, you were looking for more, wasn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, I was like, okay. Um, Not really giving much away there. No, but I like that. I thought that was quite concise. Yeah. More, more concise than our summary of Bright. Yes. <laughs> That's your elevator pitch, <laughs> Maglandus. Okay, so uh, essentially it starts up with previously on Doctor Who and we cut the footage of an old episode featuring... William Hartnell. Yeah, yeah, the first, first doctor. doctor yeah. Back from 1965, I yeah. believe. Um, and there's a subtitle to explain the doctor refused to regenerate once before back in the South Pole. I, uh, I just a, a little interesting bit here, but did you notice how it was started off in 4.3? No, I didn't. And then it expanded to widescreen. Well, and they did, it, they did it at the end as well. Really? When the, yeah, to be fair, I did notice it got a bit smaller. Yeah, towards yeah, the end. I quite like that. But we so we, we start with um our, like archive footage um from the original TV show, and then very soon that transitions into color footage, uh with William Hartnell being recast. Yeah, by David Bradley. David Bradley, thank you. Known, the, known for Harry Potter more than anything, I think, isn't he? Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's a new one on me, okay. mate. What, what did you make of the casting of um, Bradley? Well, they've used Bradley before. They used him in the BBC drama about uh, Doctor Who, the original Doctor Who. Sure. Okay. Um, which, and I thought it was it was a piece of pretty brilliant casting. Actually, he, he does quite a decent Hartnell, from what I understand. I was about to say my my experience of viewing Hartnell's episodes is somewhat limited. Yeah, I think I might have seen all of five of them in my life, and, and I ain't that old either. <laughs> Um, what what I did find uh, slightly off-putting is when they went into colour and Bradley was surrounded by, I think it was uh, Polly and Ben, yes. the two assistants, they looked really out of place. It almost looked a bit kind of pantomime-ish. Okay. I, I, thought, I thought that bit looked quite fake and I wanted to know where they went. Yeah, there is that, isn't there? Yeah, because yeah. They, don't, they, don't, they don't seem to be with him. And so the two doctors meet in the South Pole. Um, we have we have this little cute meet moment between them, where they come to realise who each other are. Capaldi more so than David Bradley's yes. doctor. Uh, I think David Bradley's doctor is more dismissive of it, isn't yes. he? Yeah. He he does he doesn't as buy into it. Whereas he's, Capaldi's he's, been he's there, the first, he's seen that. He's the first one as well. You've got to remember that. Yes. So he. Regeneration's new to him. Yes. He's not he's not completely familiar with the concept. And now come to think of it, that's amazing. Like he doesn't want to do it because he do, he hasn't experienced it before and it's the fear of the unknown, isn't it? Or becoming Sylvester McCoy. <laughs> or like that day to Colin Baker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pies. Um so yeah, there is that. They have the cube meet. 
And then they, uh, we cut to World War One, don't we? Yeah, we we assume it's the trenches in the Somme. Yes, um, and Mark Gattis's character, who is a captain in the army, is stood toe to toe with a German officer in like, like a crater somewhere. Both of them with their pistols drawn. And there's a brief exchange between them and it becomes evident that neither of them is speaking the other's language. Um, and the German officer pulls his pause, pause, sorry, the German officer pulls the trigger, bullet comes through the air and then time freezes. It's quite interesting, just, just an, uh, an observation that the, when the German officer speaks German, we don't get subtitles. We don't, but that adds to the alienation. Of yeah, it. yeah, I, think yeah, I thought that was really good. Because you can only imagine that he's he's thinking the same thing that um, Gattis' character yeah. is thinking, you know. And so, yes, yeah, so then Gattis wanders off. Um, we see snow, which is paused in midair, which I thought was a very nice effect on the BBC budget. And he wanders off and manages to encounter the two doctors. I'm not going to give you a, a, a point by point, blow by blow of the plot, but essentially that's how we're introduced to the characters. Quite a strong, a strong, quite a strong start to the episode. I felt. Yeah, I, I mean, we have the bit as well of the times disruption. Uh, there's the, we should mention that. Yeah, yeah sorry. Th- there's a there's a kind of voiceover, loud hailer type thing saying there's a disruption in the time stream. Uh, Gattis in the trench as time pauses sees what what they term a glass lady later on um and then gattis is basically portaled into the south, south pole. pole it's as with all of Muffet's stories it's very ambitious in terms of time um and introduces some fairly hefty concepts from the get-go doesn't it in terms of having two doctors and the doctor circling back on himself and meeting his first self yeah which for a family tv show is quite it's not the most straightforward of plots, is it? It isn't, but it, it does, of a sort, follow the weird tradition of like the four doctors, the three doctors, the two yeah, doctors. Absolutely, it's not the first time the show's done no. it. He he just does it slightly more intelligently. Yeah, there is that, but it, that in itself seems a treat, doesn't it? Two doctors on one screen. Oh yeah, this, it's, this, this, it's this... like a Doctor Who Avengers. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> But it's, I think I think it buys into the prospect of you're sat down to watch a Christmas special. Not only are you getting two Doctors for the price of one, but you're also seeing a regeneration at the end of it. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm sold on that. What do you think, given it's, given it's um, quite high concept at times and given the epic scale of it, what do you think it does successfully? What parts did you enjoy? I'm... I know you'll disagree with me okay. on this bit, but um, I quite enjoyed Gattis when he was on screen. Um, I I thought it was quite interesting. They all, all, all kind of introduced almost like a life on Mars uh, contrast between the two doctors. So a very kind of PC modern doctor versus a, a, the Hart Malesque doctor. And I think 50s, that was its strength. 60s. I think for an episode that is focused on death, which ultimately, which we know from the get-go, it's going to end in the death of the Doctor. I liked that interplay between the two and the sexual politics and the yeah. what's accepted and what's not. It was um, played for laughs. And they, they you know, it, it wasn't all one way. It wasn't all laughing at uh, the heart and less character Bradley. Uh, it was, it was laughing at Capaldi. Basically, at points, 
the, the, the first Doctor is calling him a cock for wearing sunglasses and using a sonic screwdriver. That's right, and, and the fact that he's more interested in using the gadgets than just looking at yes, the problem. Yes, yeah, yeah. You know? But I liked, I liked the fact they got some laughs out of that because I think it, it it kind of just grounded it a bit when you could all be sombre about death and it's not quite that. They found no. some humour in that, which is a masterstroke for the script, I feel. What else did you like? Um, I, I, apart from Gattis and the, the two Doctors interplay, um, I, I actually thought it was a pretty standard episode. And... Although it didn't signpost stuff, I felt like I was able to guess what was coming uh, pretty quickly once a, a, a you know a, a little teaser of a concept was introduced. Did you um, did you foresee the Dalek? In the I did. I yeah. actually wrote down twenty six minutes in. Are those scurrying brains Daleks? Oh, hey, if hey. so, called it. And then 32 <laughs> minutes called it. What I like about that is you've actually written a note in the margin as to what time you called it. Yeah, like. yeah. <laughs> that's very good, dude. Uh, and you know, it, it was nice in the fact that it was Christmassy. Um, I, I saw the armistice bit coming. Did you see? I, I, I didn't see that coming. I was going to ask you, did you yeah. I, I, I was expecting uh, Paul McCartney's Pipes of Peace to be playing in the background <laughs> at the end. Um, so I kind of saw that. I, I, I think it probably rewarded people who'd stuck with Moffat through the Capaldi run. Yes. Maybe. Uh, as you said, uh, Bill, uh, she she's a very good actress. And she had some really good lines as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Um, not overly sure. Uh, I quite like the idea that, that not every scheme in the universe is nefarious. I... I'm with you on that. It was a nice, but at the same time, it robbed it of any kind of power. Yeah, it, it did. It of any, any, kind any of peril. threat or prep peril. Because, uh, because you know Bill's dead. You know uh, the, his other assistants are, are dead. Yeah. Um, you also know that ultimately um, Bradley's first doctor is going to turn into, regenerate into another doctor. And you know Capaldi's not going to die and he's going to become a... So, uh, so actually, if I was that Dalek, I'd be shooting... I'd actually have tried to kill him because... It turned out that Dalek didn't watch him die. I think the fact we know there's a regeneration <laughs> end of it is so somewhat of a double-edged sword. We know things are going to be okay. We know Doctor Who's going to live on, but we also know he's going to die. That the Doctor Who, as we know him, is going to die. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that that was the reason that the 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 um the testimony, as I think it's called, the yeah. the aliens, the testimony. Yeah. The, I think that's from what, the future. I think that's why they weren't necessarily an evil plan because, again, you've got to try and balance out that that death at the end of it. Yeah, you know, I just I just think without any sense of peril or or friction. Because even the Dalek, Doctor Who knew he wasn't going to kill him. Yeah. because he wants to see him die yeah. anyway. So I mean, which is nice because it's basically it's a Christmas episode. So Gattis's character again, we've already said spoilers. Uh, but Gattis, Gattis, Gattis' character lives. Yes. Uh, the people who are dead are already dead. Uh, Doctor's going to regenerate. So kind of, I guess it's like, well, it's a Christmas episode. There are no losers, are there? There, really? there are no losers. And I thought it was a bit of a cheap shot right at the end with Whitaker's regeneration when she's in peril right at the end to be continued as she falls out of TARDIS. But you know, she, again, yeah, it's, it's no not, real peril. You, she, you know they've got a season. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, you know you know, she's not going to die. Uh, but at the same time, it just felt like a, do you know what, a token peril at the end. Again, we, we knew it was coming. Yeah. And there, there was nothing 
it did exactly what it said on the tin. You knew he was going to regenerate, and she regenerated, yeah. and that was it. And I, and I think I put that in my notes. We could have done with another twist. We could yeah. have done with some more jeopardy there. Yeah. She regenerates, but she realises she's now on a battlefield in the world in World War One. And moreover, someone recognises her. Or, I don't know, something, something a bit more creative than just she regenerates. Um, there was a lot more jeopardy in the Queen's speech, I hear. <laughs> <laughs> Um, see, to me, Gattis's character was just a MacGuffin. Well, again, spoiler alert, but um, it was titled up as the captain, and it, it was—he's the—he's the brigadier, the generators for the brigadier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which was which not a nice little nod. I thought well, that was good, but <laughs> I never. I never was invested in his plight. No, no. I, well, he was quite prepared to die all the way through, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, and then he changes his mind towards the end. Yeah. But no, that's an interesting turn, though, because it's the same with um, the first Doctor. It's the same with um, Bradley's character, but in reverse. He doesn't want to die. He doesn't want to die. He doesn't want to die. Then all of a sudden, he makes his peace with it. Yeah. And I thought he could have gone done with going through more of a journey. I thought it was a bit quick that he decided. Which was all down to the hugging bill Bill. uh, who was the the glass woman and her saying something about fairy tales yes and which and then see and that's kind of what i felt capaldi's uh rendition of the doctor lacked um the first doctor was saying about how fairy tales don't always come true he had a cynicism he was sort of bitter but he was very truthful and honest and I think Doctor Since then have become a lot more whimsical yeah. and a lot more of this alien who wants the best for all of us and wants to make sure everything's okay for everybody. Whereas most of, certainly most of the iterations before the reboot was very much, it was a bumbling but competent uh, alien who stumbled in on these issues. They, there was who no happened who happened upon intergalactic war yeah, yeah. and sort of inserted themselves, yeah. you know? And and I always thought that they should have gone with that idea that actually the TARDIS was essentially like God in Quantum Leap. Yeah. So you know this idea that I I have the skill set to be able to help these people and I'm just being dragged from time to place to help these people by some unknown force. So so the TARDIS should have been in control. Yeah. It shouldn't be that the Doctor pilots the TARDIS, it's that the TARDIS pilots the Doctor. Correct, yeah. yeah. If the BBC are listening, I think we are available next yeah. year, aren't we? <laughs> okay, so, again, I took issue with the Daleks. I, I get that the Daleks are the classic characters, and it is nice to see them, but for me, and again, this is a criticism of this sort of new who has no overly, overly, Tardis, the Daleks turn up too many times. The Cybermen turn up yeah. too many times. They cease to be special. Um, they was it the Ord, the Ood, the Ood. The Ood was it was introduced earlier in uh, Moffat's run. And I like them. I like them as an alien. I think they could have really made them their own. You know. Well, I hear that the Master Stroke Missy uh, very good, were, were great, yeah. and and I actually think the Master's always been a, a decent villain right the way back. From, it's the Baker episodes. Yeah, even yeah. Before then, some brilliant. Episodes. Even back to um John Pertwee's episodes for the Master, yeah. they were very good. Um, and and I think that sometimes that's that's underutilized because the Master can just be the puppet master in the background, steering other 
or the racers or whatever to try and. And I'm always interested, like there's the Doctor, there's the Master. Who else is out there? You know, of the Time Lords, who else exists? What other fun? It's It's Ringo Paul, (laughs) George. Um, Yeah, but I I thought the fairy tale bit felt very meta. But I think Moffat's always been quite meta. But but going along the meta bit a bit further, as Capaldi's regenerating at the end. It was like he was mansplaining. <laughs> he was. I think I, I can't help but feel his final monologue was more to the next showrunner. But yeah. don't don't lose your way with the Doctor. This is what makes the Doctor important. This is what makes the Doctor whimsical. Chibble, isn't it? Yes. Who's, nice who's respons- who was responsible for Broadchurch? Yeah, yeah. Who, which is an interesting choice. We'll, we'll see what happens. Um, Good drama writer, though. So. Absolutely. For my just as over, just to summarise, for my money, I do think this is one of the best Christmas specials for quite some time. Uh, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, catch, doesn't touch the greatness of the Christmas Invasion, which was Tennant's first one. Um, but it does. For, for the first time in a while, I'm kind of having seen the Christmas special. I'm quite interested to see what they do with it next. I I thought it was a bit half-assed, in all honesty. Um, I, I, I'd be interested to see where Jodie Whittaker and Chibble take the next uh, iteration of Doctor Who, but at the but at the same time, I I really struggled with the Christmas special. Again, I, I'm a bit like our review of Bright, which is well, if you've got the spare time, it's it's not going to change your life, but at the same time, it's it's, it's a pretty pleasant way of spending an hour. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah. It was quite quite doable an hour as well, I felt. The highlight for the episode for me, and I was surprised as to how much, is the interplay between the two Doctors. I like the fact that the the younger Doctor um, takes him to task for his sexism um, and his outdated views on women. I like the fact that uh, Bill Potts makes them a bit awkward. There's a scene where Gattis and the Doctor are talking about how they they both know women and women are hard to know and they're a bit glass, and they both laugh at each other. They both kind of congratulate each other as to a joke, a joke well told. I think Potts puts them in their place after that. I do I don't know. I I really just enjoyed the interplay between the two doctors, and for me that was pretty much the highlight, even over the regeneration. I feel. So that's what we've got time for this week. Uh, we have already got in the bag a review for the Last Jedi, which we hope to be putting on our SoundCloud page and iTunes very, very soon. If you like this podcast, then please leave a positive review on said iTunes or SoundCloud. Get in touch with us on our Strangers to the Multiplex Facebook page. And until next time, don't be a stranger. Oh, 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 strangers to the multiplex.